And welcome back. It is Monday, March 21st, 2022, and you're listening to episode 134 of the Can I Say Something podcast. Your host and a recluse with a juicy caboose, Damien. Joining me today is Derek McDuff. Today in the show, we'll be discussing what we've been watching, including spoilers for everything involved, last minute Oscar thoughts, a conversation about Drive My Car and other Hamaguchi projects, and a hot off the press review of Pixar's latest film, Turning Red, followed by our top five favorite Pixar movies. Right into the show, bicycle at gmail.com, bicycle on Twitter, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, rate and review a Dynamo podcast, tell a friend, family member, or stranger, what's up, man? How you doing? Hey man, doing well, taking it easy, uh, having a good na- Saturday night here recording, but you know, I know this is going out Monday, but yeah, it's good time. <laughs> yeah, you ruined the, the magic of audio, the, the magic yeah. of podcasting, <laughs> through the magic of podcasting. The, the, the veil is destroyed, there is, you see, everyone sees the man behind the curtain. Exactly, Oz, Ozman is, is here. <laughs> So this is, yeah, like you said, this is Saturday, but it's, uh, it's about a week and a day before the Oscars. How excited are you? I mean, uh, I, I kind of was not super stoked about <laughs> yeah. the, the, the lineup this year, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was It's a lot of the same picks, and it's a lot of the, just kind of the same Oscar stuff that you see year in and year out. And it's funny because I was, uh, it reminds me of, I was listening to, um, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the podcast called Podcast Like It's 1999. No. Okay, well, um, you know, I know we, you and I have talked about how great of a film year 1999 is, and, you know, that's a podcast kind of dedicated to that, nice. where every week they um, review a different movie from 99, and uh, they, they did an Oscar one that I was listening to, and it's just like, I, I kind of can't believe the shit that got nominated that year for the Oscar, and look, looking back, like, wow, so we didn't nominate, like, being John Malkovich, or, you know, The Matrix, or any of these incredible films for Best Picture, but we did nominate um, the Cider House Rules. So, like, and I feel like that's kind of the year we're having right now where there are so many good movies that are getting overlooked for just middling dramas, you know? Yeah. Is it, was that the year that uh, Gladiator won? 99? That was um, uh, 2000. It, uh, yeah, oh. the Gladiator won. Was that ninety nine? Uh, well, that the was ceremony the was in two thousand and one. But yeah. sorry, was that uh, the? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Was that that wasn't uh, Shakespeare in Love? Was that ninety nine? That was ninety eight. So the the Oscars were held in ninety nine, but it was for the oh, ninety eight right, right. movies. So the Oscars that were held in the year two thousand for the ninety nine movies were, yeah, The Matrix and uh, I think uh, American Beauty one, which is a movie oh, that yeah. has not aged well. No, <laughs> no, not at all. I haven't revisited that in a while, but yeah, I would imagine not. But yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's not like it's it's a, it's a you know middling year. I feel like again, I mentioned this before, but mm-hmm. 2019 was a very good year, probably one of the best years on record. Um, last couple of years just ha- mm-hmm. hasn't held a candle to it. But um, you know, for the last few years, and I have the article here for you know Drive My Car is nominated for Best Picture, and it is the fourth movie in the last four years that have had a non-English movie being nominated for Best Picture. So you know, make a little bit of progress, a little bit of progress here yeah, and there. Yeah. 
Yeah. So we had. Yeah, and then know, also. Uh, oh yeah, go ahead. I was just to say the uh, parasite. Obviously, just to mention what they were: Roman in 2018, parasite in 2019, uh, Minari in 2020, and this year, drive my car. So it's good, good representation there. Yeah, and then Coda as well, which is yeah. English, but it's also sign language. I don't know what the exact breakdown of that is, but um, and that's happened before with Children of a Lesser God, but um, feels worth noting that you know that is a movie that is largely in another language, um, also being represented at the Oscars. Yeah, yeah, and just so, you know, the last couple uh, award shows that have been uh, going on the past week or so, past couple of weeks, Critics' Choice Awards, the awards went to Power of the Dog for Best Picture. Will Smith got another award. I think this was after his SAG Award. He got uh, Best Actor there, so just kind of cements his winning at the Oscars there. But Jessica Chastain got Best, Best Actress, so I don't have it pulled up, but I believe one of us had her for... Uh, best actress and one of us didn't. Yeah, you you've got her. You've got I've her. Got I've got gotcha. uh, I've got Olivia Coleman. Gotcha, um, gotcha, that's a tough cool. category. I think that is the toughest category to pick right now, honestly. Yeah, definitely. I mean, always when I always go into this, there's you know they talk about this on Big Picture where it's like your head and your heart. You know, you want your heart wants you know maybe Olivia Coleman, but your heart your head goes for you know the person that's been nominated and been winning awards leading up to the Oscars. You know, you had to put your head in the in the mind of the uh, the Academy voters of like a lot of them are probably mm. older, probably haven't seen actually seen the movies, so they're probably basing their vote off of who's popular, who's winning a lot of awards, you know, things like that. See, my heart would go with Kristen Stewart, honestly. Like, right. I think she gave such a great performance in that. Like, I had my problems with the movie, but her acting was definitely not one of them. And I think she she's a really great actress, and I she deserves some recognition. Um, you know, I think I think I just picked Olivia Coleman because the Oscars like to pick people who they picked before, and so yeah. I, that's why I was just kind of leading towards Olivia Coleman. But I could really go anyway with that pick with that uh, yeah. category. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be on the 27th, so it'll be fascinating to see what goes on then. Um, so why don't we dive into our um, things we've been watching. You and I have seen Drive My Car. I've seen it twice now. One of my favorite movies of the year. Tell me what you thought of Drive My Car. It was really good. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it is a movie that is three hours long, and you do, unlike some other movies, feel its length. Uh, it is a very, very... Um, it's a, uh, I guess, talking heavy. I guess. <laughs> yes, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of just kind of like dialogue in the movie, which I understand why it is kind of a movie about communication. It does have all these different languages in it. Um, you know, not just Japanese, but also Korean, English, uh, Mandarin, uh, even some a lot of Japanese sign language is present in it. Um, but it is, uh, you have to kind of devote some time to watching this movie. Uh, and I think it's well worth it. But it's not a movie. I mean, when you say you've watched it twice, like my, props to you, man, because uh, <laughs> uh, it was it was a lot for me to kind of like sit down and I wa- watched it over Discord with somebody, and uh, mm. unfortunately we were kind of like talking over a lot of it, but we were able to still pay attention because of the subtitles. But yeah, yeah it was a, it's a it's a good one. Um, but it was the last movie that I got to of the best pictures, partially because of the length and partially because uh, just not a lot happening like in it right. that is you know super that would draw me in it's just kind of you know about conversations which is good uh but it's not exactly a um you know a uh, barn burner <laughs> exactly um you mentioned like you you were you took acting classes for a while in college um did you do any of the plays that they were doing in this movie the shake off plays they were doing 
so I didn't do any of the plays. Uh, they mentioned, I think, Long Day's Journey into Night. Um, I did a report on that one. Um, so I know a little bit of that one. That's not Chekhov, but I think that it gets touched on uh, in it. I, I know Chekhov because uh, we I studied him. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously he's the guy who invented... I think we were texting about this Chekhov's gun. That's, that's yeah. his whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he he's just kind of yeah he's one of the old masters that always would get talked about as a theater major. Yeah, so they do Uncle Vanya. The probably the second and longest section in this movie is devoted to them um, doing a production of Uncle Vanya. Which you know, going into this again, going in blind to a lot of this and not being a theater theater person, um, when they start when they the first time they do practice and do the rehearsal of it, and the guy starts like accosting the woman, like almost assaulting her. I'm like, what is this real? Is this part of the play? Is he like gone crazy? What, what is happening here? Sort of like um, you know, watch Sinodosh New York a few years ago which is basically like a play within a play within a play and I was wondering like are we, are we doing this sort of thing where the guy is actually an asshole but they're doing a play about him being an asshole I had no idea what was going on was there, was there any part of this movie where like I'm completely lost I have no idea what is actually real what isn't real the one part where I was just like oh I don't know if this is supposed to be like the play or if it's real life is when right after when his wife dies and he is still doing the Uncle Vanya play, and then he just kind of goes off and has a moment. I was like, yeah. wait, is the, was he supposed to exit there, or is this a dramatic oh, yeah, thing? Yeah. I couldn't really tell. That was the one time when I was kind of like scratching my head. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting, because I think this play, or this movie, is to Uncle Vanya what um, Mank is to Citizen Kane. Where it's yeah. like, you could still watch it and get it, but if you have the context of the other work, um, it you know, which is so... Like it's, the DNA of it is just so prevalent throughout the whole film that you will get a lot more from it. Um, and I only had a very, very cursory understanding of Uncle Vanya. So um, there was even a lot that went over my head for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. One of my favorites of the year. Um, where would you put this in terms of just like the best, the, the movies nominated for, for best picture? Is this top of the list, middle of the list, bottom of the list? It's... It's definitely the middle of the list. Um, I, I recently kind of did my own ranking of the Best Picture nominees, and I had this one at number six. Um, I did... That's pretty tight, honestly. My, like, a lot of my rankings, I think I had everything from number three to number eight was all I rated four stars on Letterboxd. Um, yeah. So it is kind of... It's, you know, kind of there in the middle, uh, for sure. I was going back and forth between this and number five, but I think it's right there in the middle of the Best Picture nominees for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Raisa Suki Hamaguchi, the director of Drive My Car, is one of my favorite new directors that I've stumbled across, stumbled, stumbled across for the past few years. Um, he had two films released last year, uh, Drive My Car and a movie called Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. So I also checked that out, and that was very good as well. Um, he also co-wrote um, Wife of a Spy, which was a very interesting World War II spy thriller that takes place in Japan during World War II. I would highly recommend checking, checking that out. Um, I believe Wheel of Fortune Fantasy and, and uh, Wife of the Spy. And also another one I checked out called Asaka. Asako 1 and 2 are all on Mubi. I actually canceled uh, my Criterion this week or last week because, you know, everything's on HBO Max. I also mm -hmm. canceled uh, my Netflix because that went up to $20. So <laughs> definitely, oh, wow. tr yeah, trimming my, uh, trimming my streaming services here. Um, so, yeah, Asako 1 and 2, very interesting movie. The basic premise is, is um, about a woman who falls in love with two men who look the same but act completely differently. This was a really great uh, little movie that... Uh, 
uh, Hamaguchi did in, I believe, 2018. It premiered at the Palme d'Or uh, Cannes Film Festival. Um, didn't win the award that year, but it is very good. It's one of those, you know, if you like Drive My Car, I'd highly recommend watching this as well. And uh, so, yeah, definitely recommend. I like uh, Hamaguchi is probably one of my favorite uh, directors working out, working there, working, <laughs> working today. So, yep. Really nice, good stuff. Nice. Yeah. So uh, some other guys that I've been, you know, checking, uh, getting caught up with some directors and some uh, filmmakers I've been catching up with recently are the Safety Brothers. We talked about them a couple of weeks ago where you just caught up with their uncut jams, uncut jams, uncut jams, <laughs> uncut jams. <laughs> so they had a movie in uh, 2014 called Heaven Knows What. It is a psychological drama film directed by Josh and Benny Safdie written by Ronald Bronstein. Um, so I have in my notes, it's like you know, we, we watched Red Rocket a few weeks ago. And so mm-hmm. if you came away from that movie and said, I would like a movie with four to five of these guys, four to five Mikeys, <laughs> then I would recommend watching oh, uh, Heaven yeah. Knows Yeah, I would recommend watching he- Heaven Knows What. Um, it is starring a woman named Ariel Holmes and Caleb Landry Jones, which I think the first time I saw him was in uh, Get Out from that year, from 2017. Mm. He's a really great actor. He's in this. And it just is that, you know, picture a bunch of... Um, what's the guy's name? Uh, Mikey's fortified Mikey's just running around. They're all, you know, Sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's a good movie, but like Jesus. Yeah, it's very uh, just anxiety ridden. Just again, just that whole like, I need some drugs. Hey man, you got some drugs. You got this. You got this thing. You owe me. You owe me from last time. Uh, just a bunch of just degenerates running around. You know, I'm I'm totally for you know rehabilitation. I'm, I'm for treating addiction as a, as a disease. You really need to treat it as a mental illness. I'm totally for that. But just in the moment, watching these people do what they have to do to get the drugs is so frustrating to see what they're doing and see, uh, see them steal shit and they go they do this thing which it, i've seen this in a few movies and i've heard is actually a thing where you go and buy things from like a dollar store and then go and sell it to somebody else or sell it to like um you know a booth in the, on the street or something they, they steal a bunch of like um five hour five hour energy drinks and bring it to this this other convenience store down in the corner and make a little bit of profit just to get their kick <laughs> it is just yeah it's just a wild wild movie highly recommend it that is on uh movie one of my favorite streaming services now and they had a double feature double bill with that movie and miss 45 it was called their uh street vendors new york street vendors double bill uh miss 45 is a movie i've always heard about always wanted to see it is a uh, vengeance you know revenge film uh came out in 1981 directed by abel abel ferrara stars zoe tamarillis and it was just a very, very low budget um, movie, revenge movie. A woman gets raped um, twice in like the in a period of like an hour or something. So she goes on this revenge spree, just has a handgun and just goes out. It reminded me very much of remember that movie from I think twenty fifteen with um, with Jodie Foster called like I forget what the name of it was. Um, oh, the, the brave yeah, one. one with um, Naveen Andrews in it, right? Yeah, a brave one, the brave one, or something like that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of yeah. that. Just, just a woman going on a, a killing spree for like an hour and a half. So very, very, very good. It's, it, okay. it's again based in New York, uh, New York City garment district. Um, very good, uh, one of those. So definitely recommend checking that out. Um, let's see. Let me just go through a couple of these. So again, trying to fill out, you know, all of the. Um, Directors I've, I've, I love, I want to I want to fill out their filmography. So I checked out Christian Petzold. He's the director 
Uh, a few things I've seen in the last couple of years. He directed Phoenix. It was a World War II uh, thriller in 2014. He, re- he directed a movie called Transit in 2018. And Undina from a couple of years ago. Um, Christian, Christian Petzold is one of my favorite directors. I believe he is. Let me see his actual na- nationality. Um, I think he's German. So he directs a lot of German movies. And this movie, Barbara, takes place in 1980. So it's it's still, the wall is still, um, you know, up between the east and west of Germany, which, you know, just just a quick tangent. It's crazy how we think of like history as being old and, and, and all the, you know, World War II and the effects of World War II were pretty much just ancient history. And the wall, the Berlin Wall fell in 1989 when I was still alive, you know, so yeah. <laughs> all of these, yeah, all when, these when, artifacts. Yeah. When did it fall? 89, like 1989. Oh, uh, December, you know, like, I think. I okay, yeah, December. so it would have, I would have been alive then too. I would have, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's that's so wild. I was thinking about yeah. something the other day because there. I have a coworker. He's uh like he's seventeen, so he was born in two thousand and four. And I was like, wow. So the Berlin Wall <sighs> is more like the September eleventh is more history to him than the Berlin Wall is to me. Like it's it's <laughs> insane to think about. Yeah, yeah, it really is because you know just the the you know think about the east and the west and the west, the east was you know communist country and the west wasn't so you can really you can still see today if you look like a satellite image of the east east uh, Germany what used to be east Germany what used to be west Germany you can still see they're very much uh, you know technologically technologically um, what do you call it um, you know from back then they're just not as advanced still they're just kind of so. impaired technologically. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah, impaired is a great word. So this takes place in 1980, still has East Germany. People are still trying to get over to West Germany from East Germany. And it's basically a movie about a woman named Barbara who's a physician. And she's just, you know, doing her job from day to day and trying to get enough money to go to West Germany. And it's just a very good, um, you know, little drama. I'd nice. highly recommend watching that on uh, on movie. Um, so let me see what else we got after Yang. This is a really good one too. Um, I think I had to sign up for Showtime to see this. This is uh, Koganada's new movie. If you're not familiar with Koganada, anybody listening, he directed a movie called um, uh, Columbus a few few years ago with um, Haley Lou Richardson and uh, the guy from uh, uh, what's the White Castle movie? <laughs> I can't remember the guy's um, name. Uh, Kumar. Uh, John Cho. John Cho, thank you. Yeah, John Cho and Haley Lou Richardson were in a movie called Columbus. It was a very, again, lugubrious thing, but very cool. Like, uh, every shot is composed really, really well. I believe he was a photographer or he did a lot of video essays, Coconut Coconut did it. So it was a very beautiful movie. Every, you know, shot could be a wallpaper or it could be a picture that you would put on your wall. So um, this is a movie, uh, After Yang, is a new movie from him from, from last year. Starring Colin Farrell, Jody Turner-Smith, Justin Min, and Haley Lou Richardson. It is about a family's attempts to repair their un- un- unresponsive robotic child. So it is very much like a more um, slower, quieter version of uh, Ex Machina from a few years ago. So oh, I thought you were going to say of AI, <laughs> artificial a- intelligence. A- it could be AI, which is interesting you brought that up because I don't know if you listen to the... Um, what is the podcast that they do? It's like a film spotting the sister. The film, film cast. The film cast is that one, but also they did. Um, let, me, let me look it up so I don't forget it. Um, they have film spotting, but then they have other people from from film spotting. They have another one. Uh, let me find it here. The next picture show is a show is a podcast about movies where they pair 
uh, two movies together. A couple weeks ago, they did Run, Lola, Run, and they did Kimi. So they take a contemporary movie and they'll pair it with a similar mm. older movie. So really recommend listening to that. So interesting you brought up AI because they paired AI with After Yang. So they're very, very, very similar. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I think I yeah. heard on the film cast they compared them is what, I, what made me think of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very... Um, very good uh, comparison there. So highly recommend watching After Yang. I think I, had, I think I had to sign up for Showtime, Showtime Now, Showtime whatever. Mm. <laughs> yeah, because I heard show. they they grabbed the rights after Sundance. Because I was like, I was like, oh, I'm gonna see this, and I was like, I'm not gonna get a subscription to Showtime. So. Yeah, no, no, it's not not worth it. Um, then just one more thing quickly, uh, Paddington 1 and 2, I've heard really good things about that. I think they have a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes right now, so those are very good. If you have a kid or you just want to watch a very lighthearted comedies, uh recommend watching Pen- Paddington 1 and 2. So that's pretty yeah. much, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, like I, it's one of those ones that I've been meaning to get to for a while because I just hear, especially 2 is just like the most good nature's thing you can watch. Yeah, yeah, very, very nice little movies. So why don't we get to a couple things, or one thing that we both been watching. Actually, why don't we do, <laughs> sorry, why don't we go to what you've been watching before we get to the same thing we've watched. Uh, you watched Winning Time. I've heard a lot about this because they were talking so much about this on The Watch, the uh, the Ringer podcast there. They're highly into sports things, into TV shows. So tell me what you thought of this. So yeah, I'm absolutely the target audience for this where I am a person who is very much into sports things and kind of like pseudo documentary thing this shot a little bit like a doc um you know i i love 30 for 30s and all that stuff and i i love adam mckay's uh comedy um so i was like very much like okay this is right up my alley i'm also a huge laker fan and i had i've had my dad for years talk about you know the good old days like oh kareem and magic back in the day that was the bet you know like i just hearing all these stories of the lakers and then i was like all right you know i'm gonna get to see this prestige show about it and it's got all these great actors and i watched it and i was like this is not very interesting like i i just i don't know it it didn't really hit for me um and i you know i so i can't even imagine what somebody who isn't into all this stuff would uh feel uh so it was just, it wasn't bad or anything i was just like it was not engaged at all it was very much like like the adam mckay thing was kind of like almost reaching its breaking point where john c Riley just kept turning to the cameras like hey guess what i'm gonna buy the lakers isn't that crazy and it's like <laughs> okay i get it you can there is there's some st- good stuff in it um uh, one of the things i liked that was there's a sequence where they uh, are talking about uh, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, and they're using all these buzzwords that always get thrown around. And then, kind of, you hear like the you know announcers say, "Oh, hardworking," and like et cetera. And then it's just like white, white, white. And then it's like, "Oh, he's a natural athlete." Black, black, black. So it's the you know the kind of very pseudo racist kind of terminology that, especially then, but even still today, gets thrown yeah. around with white and black athletes. Um, and I like they they kind of like you know put a flag on that. And uh, it was a little bit like like on the nose um like pay attention to this but i thought that worked that and then um what's his name uh oh my gosh john connor who's he plays he plays uh he plays jerry west in it uh yeah like the original like or the john connor the most recent one um jason clark right okay yeah Um, yeah he is yeah yeah he he is uh so so angry in it and he's just like just like having i feel like having the time of his life just like shouting and yelling and going just crazy and giving this big performance and i i thought he was pretty great but that that was really the only things i could really say that i enjoyed about the show 
Yeah, so they're trying to do basically a uh, last dance for the Lakers, a version of that for the Lakers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty much just that, yeah. Um, let's see. So we talked about Drive My Car. You watched uh, Nightmare Alley, A Vision of Darkness and Light. Is this a black and white version of that? Yes, it is. Um, and I thought it was fucking phenomenal. Like, I, nice. I was, we already talked about on this podcast about how I was a really big fan of Nightmare Alley, and it was one of my favorite films of the last year. Um, but seeing it in black and white was just such a better experience. Like, it was, it was already really great, but this, like, elevated even further. I'm all I'm usually kind of opposed to when directors do this. They go back and like, well, this is going to be my work in black and white. Like when they did it with the uh, Fury Road, I was like, this movie is colored so well. There's no reason to do this. When Bong Joon-ho did it with Parasite, I was like, this is kind of unnecessary. Like it doesn't really distract from the movie, but it doesn't add anything to it either. Whereas yeah. it really adds to this film. Like it feel the kind of whole vibe of the movie being set in the 30s and 40s and being a remake of a film that came out in that time and having all these themes and aesthetics from then really worked and it also just looked so good like the lighting in the movie like where there's a scene where there's like a light hitting Kate Blanchett and in the black and white it looked like fucking phenomenal like it looks so good we me and my buddy just both turned to each other and we're like oh my gosh the like the the lighting in this movie is so good and there's so many points where like there'll be a silhouette of somebody like you'll see Bradley Cooper and he's got like the detective hat and he'll just be completely black and he'll kind of step forward and slowly he'll become black and white and oh my gosh it w- it was so cool I'm so mad that it's not streaming anywhere you could only see this in you know very select theaters I had to see it at a local kind of art house theater um and it's streaming in two places but you have to watch it in color and that's just a shame to mm. me um because he he wanted to do this in black and white um originally but the studios wouldn't let him I guess the thinking was black and white movies don't make as much money as color movies. It didn't work. The movie made no money anyway, so they should yeah. have just let him do it in black and white. <laughs> nice. So would you say this is your favorite movie from last year? It's, it's, I would say it's, it's definitely my favorite of the best picture nominees. It's, yeah. it's between this Spider-Man and the green Knight. Like it's those three oh, yeah, are yeah. all top three for sure. Um, pretty, maybe you could throw the last duel in there. I think those four are really head and shoulders above anything else. Yeah, nice, nice. Uh, so you've also checked out Resident Evil. Is this another uh, reboot, or was it? What is this? <laughs> so this is the, the well. Yeah, that's the thing. There's like four versions going on right now concurrently. But um, I checked out the original because I'd never seen the oh, wow. 2002 Resident Evil. Um, because I've been trying to actually watch a lot of video game movies because I'm going to be working on a project for writing about some video game stuff and doing some stuff with my podcast about them. Um, but, uh, so I was like, all right, I need to go back and watch the really famous ones that I've never seen. And I was like, I hear this one's kind of fun schlock and it's before it goes really too off the rails. Cause I'd seen some of the later ones in the Mila Jovovich series and I was not a fan. And, uh, there's moments of that in this, but it's, it's basically just, um, action, dumb, dumb, dumb action scene. And then long exposition sequence and just that over and over for an hour and a half. <laughs> and that's all the movie is really. <laughs> the one thing I remember remember about this movie, and the one thing people talk about when they talk about this movie, is the um, the laser room scene, right? Yeah, that's earlier on. It's weird because like the zombies don't even show up until forty minutes in the movie. Like I checked the time; it was like thirty nine minutes exactly when you see the first zombie. And before that, it's just like yeah, like they're breaking into this like 
thing and there's that laser sequence that kills like half the main characters yeah it's it's bizarre the 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 plot of this movie and the pacing of it is so strange <laughs> jesus i also did go back and watch this at some point and you also checked out tekken is this a uh what is what is this i don't i'm not sure what this is tell me what this is <laughs> so yeah it's a that's another video game movie um i am a really big fan of the tekken games uh so i was like all right you know I've been kind of asking around, what video game movies do I need to watch? And people like Tekken, you know, it's really underrated. It's really good. And I was like, all right, it's got like a 1.6 on Letterboxd or something, but let me check this out. And uh, it's just, it's a fighting game with like, it, like so many fighting games have like this, the insane lore where it's like, ah, this guy is possessed by a demon and this guy, there's an ancient ogre god over here and here's a kangaroo with the boxing gloves and just like all of that being in a fighting <laughs> game, you know? And then this movie opens and it's just like, in the future, after the World War Three, like corporations have taken over the world and divided into seven things, and I was like, "That's not anywhere in the game." So it's just like one of those games. Like for some reason, video game ap- adaptations, I feel like a lot of times feel like they have to be like, "All right, well, we'll just make this post-apocalyptic for no reason." Like the Resident Evil series goes that way. So the Super Mario Brothers movies kind of do that. Like it's it's very strange and it's really bad. Like there's not even like fun moments in it. It's just like one of the honestly like i don't like to throw movies under the bus too much but this one was just bad it it was it did not even get picked up for a u.s release it went straight to dvd <laughs> in the u.s and i can wow. see why like it is oh it is it is borderline unwatchable like i had it's 90 minutes long but i still couldn't do it in one sitting i had to split it up over two <laughs> nights wow Jesus yeah so and video game movies i'm trying to find some gems but so far of <laughs> the two I've watched, it's been two misses. Yeah, yeah. They, they always talk about, like, I, I don't think I've seen them in a long time or I've seen them at all, but you know, the Street Fighter movies, the first couple, they like, always talk about being decent things that were made mm-hmm. back then. Um, the new Mortal Kombat that came out last year. Did we see that last year, I think? It, okay, yeah, it came out last year. I, I st- That's on my list for ones I'm going to try and watch soon. Um, I think De- Detective Pikachu is actually yeah, pretty good movie. I think that's... That and Sonic, I think, are the only yes. ones that have a positive score on Rotten Tomatoes. Sonic yes. is just barely two. It's like a sixty-three percent. Like it's like <laughs> like right, like one more bad review for Sonic, and it's gonna fall run. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. It really is. Um, so before we get to turning red, I just got a couple more things I wanted to mention. Um, Severance is on Apple TV Plus right now. It's six episodes into a nine episode uh, nine episode season, directed and created by uh, Ben Stiller, written by Ben Stiller. Um, so it's basically, have you heard anything about this? I've seen like uh, the trailers and it yeah. looks like very mind trippy and bizarre and interesting. I know Adam Scott is the main character, I think, right? Yes. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. It's got Adam Scott. It's got Zach Cherry, uh, I believe from, I think he had a, a decent part in, maybe, maybe he was the brother in Oranges and the New Black. Um, let's see how much we got. Uh, Christopher Walken is in this. You have John Turturro oh. and Patricia, yeah, Patricia Arquette. So some pretty big names in this. Um, and I won't go into too much detail to spoil this, but it's basically about a world where you can say like, you go to a, um, a company and they will rewire your brain so that when you go to the office in the morning, you go, you clock in at 8 a.m. and you completely shift to another person. You're basically birthing a whole another person when you go here because that person works there from 8 a.m. to 5. At 5 p.m. they clock out and then you basically go back to the person you were at 8 a.m. So that person that works at the job is has no memory 
can't transfer the memories to you. All the memories are completely, um, you know, encased in that building and in that person's brain. So it is very like, yeah, <laughs> very, um, what would you call that? Dystopian, very brutalist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very brutalist architecture, very minimalist, brutalist architecture where you have just the people that are working for this department, Jaturo and Adam Scott are all working in this very open space room, but you're working just in four terminals. They, they are very, you know, CRT monitors, huge keyboards, very sixties, early seventies technology looking things. Um, but yeah, it gets very, very dark because the person, the very first episode is about one of the main characters. You know, you, you, you're birthing a new person. So this person wakes up and doesn't know where they are, why they're here. And they're just like, you, you're an innie. You're the person, the people inside the company are called innies. The person outside are called the outies. So the innie person has to work there and they can't leave. And the person tries to leave. They try violently to leave. They try, you know, very, you know, dark and twisted ways of leaving the building and they just not, are not allowed. And they have a couple of scenes where that person's Audi version uh, leaves a video message for them saying, you know, I don't want to work anymore. I want all the benefits of working. I want the money. I want the, the insurance. I want all of this. I want all the benefits of working, but I don't want to work. I want, you're going to be work for me. You're, you're going to be like my slave <laughs> and you can't leave. You can't die. You can't quit. You are there forever. You will not, I'm not allowing you to leave because she puts in, first she puts in her two weeks notice and they're like, no, denied. <laughs> then she just tries more and more uh, violent ways, let's say, of getting out of this uh, arrangement and then, you know, the person comes on and the person leaves another message of like, don't ever fucking do that again. Do not, you know, you, you are borrowing my body for eight hours. And if you fuck up my body, there's going to be consequences. It's just like, holy fuck. It's the darkest thing I've ever seen in a very long time. So I highly recommend uh, watching Severance on Apple TV+. Plus. It sounds like a Office Space meets Total, or The Office maybe meets Total Recall. Yeah. yeah, yeah you know, like very, that, that, that scene yeah. where he's just like, I'm you, no shits. <laughs> yeah i have yet to see total recall that's one what's that's on my watch list oh, yeah yeah, one yeah, of, yeah. One, that, one that's a big, classic one of the big sci-fi movies from the 80s i haven't seen i haven't seen a lot of arnold a lot of um i don't know mid-tier mid-tier arnold top tier arnold i haven't seen commando i haven't seen um total recall i haven't seen uh i've seen the predators i've seen uh there's a there's a few things from the 80s of arnold that i have i have to catch up on so uh, let's yeah, see. It, it's a Verhoeven, so it's very much like the kind of, you know, we like very uh, big and self-aware of what it is, you know? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Definitely got to check that out. All right. So I think that'll do it for everything we've been watching. Uh, so let's get to uh, Turning Red. This is the new Pixar film. There's the first Pixar film uh, directed solo by a woman, Brave, in 20, from 2012, was co-directed. It was co-directed by Mark Andrews and Brenda Chapman. Um, this is directed by. Let's see here. Domi Domi She. She. If you if you watch a lot of the shorts, a lot of Pixar shorts, you would know her from the the short Bow, which I just checked out this week for the first time. That was very good. Have you seen Bow? Yeah, Bow was cool. Bow was really. It's it's uh it's weird as fuck. You don't really know where it's going until the end, but it's it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that as well. Uh, so this movie stars Rosaline Chang as the main character. Uh, let's see, what is the main character's name? Wish they had him on here. Uh, she plays May. May. Uh, Sandra Oh plays yeah, May's yeah. mother, Ming Lee. Uh, I have a couple other people in here, but I don't really recognize their names. You got Ava Morse. 
Uh, I'm not pronouncing that name. That's a lot of consonants. <laughs> but yeah, very, very good movie. What did you think overall of Turning Red? Oh, I, I loved it. You know, I thought it was such a, you know, interesting story. Um, I, I really liked it. It was just kind of like, uh, you know, uh, the whole. it was like the Hulk, but, you know, for a teenage girl almost, like that kind of same yeah. setup. Uh, but I, you know, really related to it, despite not being the quote-unquote target audience, and we could talk about that, how there was that review, <laughs> just like, oh, this feels so specific, and blah, 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 basically saying, like, you know, oh, this is, you know, I'm, I'm an angry white guy, and this movie is not about that, the movie is about, like, a uh, an Asian person in Canada, so it's not for <laughs> yeah. me, so I don't like it, uh, yeah. but I yeah. still, even though, you know, I'm also just a white dude, I was like, oh, hey, this movie is, it does feel universal in its themes, um, and there was some stuff in it that did also feel kind of specific to me where it was like, oh, I also was in middle school in 2002 and had a very overprotective mother that did not want me to go out with friends and stuff all the time and go have adventures. So I was like, oh, man, there's certain things in this that are, are really, really hitting. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a really well-made movie with a lot of heart um, and just it. It you know it was cool to see that kind of nostalgic era the nostalgia for that era. Um, it was smart I feel like placing it in two thousand two also because a big part of the plot is about you know oh getting to take the pictures with the the panda and the kind of novelty of it. Whereas you know that would not be a thing. Everyone just has cell phones. Everyone can just take the picture and like yeah. oh there. But you know it's kind of able to be a little bit more of a secret um, because of the time period that it's set. And I really liked all of that. Yeah, yeah, well said. I uh, yeah, I really really liked it as well. Um, two thousand two, I, w- I would have been seventeen, eighteen, around then. Uh, so you know, I knew people like uh, that were into that sort of thing, even though it was sort of out of their age range. I was just, I was into Pokemon when I was like fifteen, sixteen. So I was definitely into stuff that was you know for younger kids. Um, but yeah, all of the stuff you know resonates with me. I knew people that had uh tomagachis i think tomagachi was was like late 90s thing so it was still a thing yeah. that i can relate to again the whole relating thing is just like you're not i'm not asian i'm not a girl but i get it yeah. <laughs> i get yeah wanting exactly to please your parents yeah you, i get yeah. wanting to please your parents i get that pressure of trying to be perfect actually you know i, you know, I can i can empathize with it i can't relate to it my parents were very hands-off they were like not checking my report they never i don't think they ever checked my report cards after like fifth grade <laughs> they were just like, Dude, like I, got, I got grounded for getting a c once so <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, awful. i get this movie oh yeah, man that, yeah yeah, that's awful, but I can empathize with it. I can see where that's coming from and just trying to, you know, obviously everyone goes through puberty, I think. I don't know if that's a thing that some people don't, but pretty sure everyone goes through puberty. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely that's a thing that's that's terrible when you when you go through it whether you're a, whether you're a male or female person. Um mm-hmm. and just I love, you know, I was into anime at that time, 16-17 year old. I was into anime, so a lot of, you know, um visual language of anime is here with their sort of you know, posing and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, just a lot of a lot of things that aren't a one to one comparison of my life as a kid. But you know, you 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 adapt those things. You change that. You look at that as like, okay, yes, I know. I liked. I know what it was like to be that age and have try to have friends and try to go through puberty and try to hide it and try to you know being ashamed of it. And uh, I knew um, you know Spanish kids who were growing up with domineering parents so i saw that i I didn't experience it myself but i saw it and i understand it and i relate to it so yeah very very good movie very good overall film 
Yeah. Really, Pixar really cool. is still, they knock it out of the park every time, you know, and, and for some reason Disney doesn't want them to have their movies in theaters. So I don't understand that at all, but okay. That's a really, yeah, that's a really terrible thing because you look at the movies that they put out in theaters and you look at the movies that they've put to Disney Plus. The movies they put to Disney Plus were, did they put Onward out in theaters? Was that, or is that straight to streaming? It, they did, but it, like, it came out like a week or two before the pandemic. Yeah. So they put it on the streaming right away. And yeah. like, that makes sense. But then um, that kind of became the model, yeah. which is, I don't know. Like, I was like, they're like, oh, well, Onward did so well after this very, very brief window, you know, because of the way the world changed um, right yeah. when it came out. And they're like, well, that's just going to be our model now for going forward. And I think that is fucking dumb. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's also not a really good look when you put mm-hmm. Turning Red, you put Shang-Chi, and you put um, Ryan the Last Dragon, all movies about minorities, Asian minorities, mm-hmm. on your streaming services, and you put other things out in theaters, right? Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of ones that they put out in theaters in the last couple of years, but, you know, uh, obviously um, Spider-Man they were going to put out in theaters, but, you know, it's not, not a great yeah. look when the only things you're putting out in streaming services are about minorities. Not yeah, great. Black Widow and Eternals. Uh, I don't know if Black Widow was a no. It was uh, Eternals, though. You know, that's you know, yeah. that's a Marvel movie they put. You know, um, so yeah, I don't know. Luca, I think was streaming, right? That didn't go up to theaters. Luca right? was streaming, yeah, yeah. Luca that was, was another Pixar one, so that was streaming, yeah. Yeah, yeah, not great, not great. <laughs> so um, yeah, very, very good. Um, Turning red, highly recommend. Yeah, and Raya had a, a very brief window theatrically. It was like a thirty-day oh. window or something like that, which is very short. Very short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So highly recommend Turning Red. Anything else you want to talk about about Turning Red before we get to our top five Pixar films? I think, yeah, it just honestly, it, you know, it is very, despite despite being like very specific about a very specific community, um, it does feel incredibly universal and relatable. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah, absolutely. Highly agree. Um, so let's get to our top five Pixar films. I watched two Pixar films. Uh, yesterday did i watch two, two of them no i didn't i watched one sorry i'm lying <laughs> i just watched <laughs> i watched wally and i watched um finding dory so i did watch two of them i'm gonna reverse my lie <laughs> i did watch two of them watch <laughs> wally and i wa- watched uh finding dory for the first time i hadn't seen that um that didn't make my top finding dory did not make my top five list not, not one of my favorites um of the pixars have you seen finding dory yeah yeah i've it's it's fine. It's like it goes yeah. off the rails at the end a lot. You yeah. know, it's, I mean, Finding Nemo is incredible and Finding yeah. Dory is just like it feels like a movie that didn't need to be made that um, Andrew Stanton made because they wouldn't let him make John Carter two because John Carter one made lost a bunch of money. So yes. he just was like, all right, well, I guess I'll do Finding Nemo now because they, they really want me to do it and I can't do my other passion project. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, Ed O'Neill's good in it. <laughs> Uh, Ed O'Neill is very good in this. Uh, let me see. Uh, who else was in this? Albert Brooks, again, reprising his role as Marlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Who was it? Ty Burrell. That's a name I remember hearing. Oh, yeah. He's from yeah, the, he's, uh, he's the Beluga. Yeah, he's way, from Modern yeah. Family. Modern Family. Thank yeah. you. Yep. Eugene Levy as Charlie, Dory's father. Um, Idris Elba's fluke. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of good people in this. But yeah, fortunately, didn't quite live up to uh, finding, finding Nemo, fortunately. Uh, yeah. So my number five, I ju- I'm going to flip some of these around. I just watched Wally last night. I'm going to flip flip that around to uh, Toy Story 3 is my number five. Um, this came out in 2010. Um, this is the third one of those, obviously. Um, 
you know, just the, the ending. I think this is the movie everyone remembers for the ending, for the scene where, again, spoiler alerts for all of this stuff. We're going to talk about all these movies. Um, you know, the ending where they're in the incinerator and they're about to die and the aliens come and rescue them. So very, very traumatic, very uh, anxiety ridden ending there. And then, of course, the, the the very ending with Andy playing with his toys for one last time was very emotionally uh, retching there. So Toy Story 3 is my number five. Yeah, good pick. Uh, my number five is, uh, Coco. Uh, I, Coco is a movie that gets me, uh, every time it makes me cry. Uh, it's the story, like, you know, is like a lot of Pixar films, very focused on family and, you know, much like turning red on kind of just generational trauma. Um, and the way that this handles a very unique culture that is once again, not my own, but something that I think is it. You know, the way they're kind of portraying all these different things and especially with their animation, making the it look so incredible. Um, but yeah, they never really do what you're expecting. I guess, you know, all I really have to say about Coco is that it really, really hits me in my emotional core and like can flip that switch that just makes me sob. And also just really good songs like. Like I know people love we don't talk about Bruno, but god damn, like some of the like Coco Loco and stuff like that and you know, you have that uh, the main song that is very very upbeat and then it's played, you know, very as uh, a softer uh you know, remember me as like the slow reprise is so good. Um I, yeah, I I love Coco. Yeah, I just seen this a uh, few years after it came out. Yeah, really really well done. I love the uh, animation style. I love all the um, environmental sort of pastiche of, you know, the Mexican Day of the Dead stuff and all of the mm-hmm. bright colors and all of the stuff going on in the background. Really, really great. Great movie overall. Yep. Uh, so let's see. My number four, I'm going to say, is Inside Out. I keep having to <laughs> move this one up because I just watched this <laughs> other movie last night and I keep moving it up. So Inside Out. I was going to watch this again, but I remembered... Bing bong. Nope, not going to watch that. <laughs> not, gonna, <laughs> not going to subject myself to that again. I, I remember that quite clearly. Um, let me actually pull up the uh, Wikipedia so I can remember all the names. Uh, do you have this on your list? Is this where, anywhere on your list? Oh, yeah. Inside Out is definitely on my list. Uh, is it number four or, or is it higher? It's it's higher. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so why don't we, why don't we uh, circle back to that later once we uh, get to yeah. where it is on your list. Um, so let's see. So let's go to number three. What is your number three Pixar film? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm on four for me. Oh, you're on number four. Sorry. Yeah, number four for you? Yeah. So my number four is Up, um, which is uh, there was this really interesting period where Disney was not owned, uh, where Pixar was not owned by Disney. Um, well, it wasn't owned by Disney for... Um, since its inception, um, up until they bought them, um, I want to say in 2012, something like that. Um, but there was a point where famously Disney and Pixar were breaking up and Pixar was going to kind of do their own things and Disney was going to make their own version of Toy Story 2. Um, and uh, there was that's when they, they there was these three Pixar movies that are kind of the really weird ones. Um, the other ones being um, Ratatouille and... Um, uh, I forget the third one, but uh, in Up, and they're the kind of ones that are the most unique and bizarre, even by Pixar standards, because they're like, yeah, we're not working with Disney anymore. Oh, Wally, that was the other one. Um, and they, of course, uh, and they're kind of like, we can just tell these really interesting stories that are not beholden to our Disney overlords. And the one they told with Up was so good. Like the people like love this movie just based on the first five minutes, which 
like will yeah. floor people more than almost anything you know like speaking about crying in coco like watch the beginning of up you know just... but like it's so much more than that too it's also just like this great adventure story and you know you're really along the rise for these characters carl Fredrickson has this great arc and it's a story about like finding your family and fathers and sons and just kind of the weird adventures you meet along the way but yeah i, I love up yeah nice not not my list unfortunately probably in top 10 but yeah i think the um you know i agree with the whole you know is it an adventure thing but uh yeah, I don't know if it holds up, uh, you know, throughout throughout the rest of the movie. Um, I have to revisit it, but um, yeah, I, I totally agree about the father-son stuff. You know, the thing about the movie is he's regretting not going on adventures with his wife. I forget the wife's name, mm-hmm. but... Um, uh, Ellie. Uh, Ellie, yeah, thank you. And him discovering, well, you know, uh, coming to terms with the fact that they did have adventures. You know, you don't have to go halfway around the world to have adventures, have a, you know, lasting... Um, uh, meaningful life with your significant other um you can have a significant life you know at home or you know in, the, in within you know where you're living you can also have memorable things happen to each other and so yeah that was a really great message there yeah yeah absolutely, yeah, absolutely. uh so let's see uh number three that i say was inside out yeah yeah okay no, no you said four was inside out yeah four so. Was... okay so now yeah. you're up to three yeah so um See, the thing is, I had Wally number five, but that's going to be higher up. So I got all all screwed up. <laughs> what, is, what, is, what is your number three? Let's go to you. All right. So, you know, let's take it back to the inside out. My my number three is in – or sorry. No, no, no. My number – yeah, whatever. I'll just say it's inside out. It was I was going to have it as my number two, but I'll say it's my number three. I'll just switch okay, them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Inside out, it was on my list of my favorite films from the 2010s just in general. It's, it's one of my favorite animated movies ever. Uh, I think it is such an important film for young people because there, especially in America, there is this prevailing notion of you need to be happy all the time. And if you're not happy, then, you know, you need to fix it and become happy. And all that does is just kind of like creates this this fake happiness and just, you know, just you just kind of bury down your, your trauma and your depression. It, it doesn't help anyone. It just makes things worse. And you know, it it deals with her parents being, you know, good-natured and like, oh, hey, you always got to be happy with for us and that the pressure that puts on her and that's something that so many people experience. Uh, and I really like the way that it just kind of personifies all these ideas about, you know, like, oh, the, it, you know, gives the emotions like actual um, agency in the movie and just kind of takes all these concepts and it's like, oh, well, here's the train of thought, you know, I, I think it's really creative in all those aspects and kind of just showing Riley going through depression and a mental breakdown. You could take it as like, oh, this is a metaphor or you can take it as like, okay, like we're seeing, you know, like literally her emotions go through this adventure and it really works either way. Um, so you know, this is a movie that I uh, went through. After I went through a breakup, I watched the movie like the next day. I was like, all right, I'm just going to like watch this movie about feeling sad now and feel better about feeling sad. And I think yeah. it really is a important, a, you know, like you need to feel sad sometimes. And this movie is like, hey, like it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be happy. It's okay if those things get mixed in interesting, weird ways. Um, so I absolutely love Inside Out. Yeah, yeah. Really great movie. Um yeah, like you said about, you know, in America, we have this idea that you have to be happy all the time or you have to be content. Um, you know, and people, I think it's also the fact that 
so many parents have a hard time relating to their kids because, you know, technology is moving so fast and social media is moving so fast. And it's very, very, it's getting harder and harder for, you know, millennials and even older parents to relate to their kids. And I think this is a great, um, you know, example of, you know, people are kind of all the same, even though society and civilization has changed so much in the past 50 years. But deep down, you just have all these same same feelings, you know, sadness and anger and all that stuff. It's this at the core of people. We're all really the same as we have been. We still have, you know, reptile brains, even though we have so much <laughs> advanced technology. Um, mm. So, yeah, I agree. With, you know, everything you said. And it's unfortunate that, you know, there's some people that I know have friends that have kids now and they are struggling to. Uh, you know, maintain a good relationship, good relationship with them because there are so many things going on that they can't relate to. Again, going back to the um, turning turning red uh, discussion we just had, you know, relating to your kid doesn't mean you have to be on Twitch or you have to be online. You have to um, engage with all of their activities that they're interested in. It just means you have to sympathize with them and, and empathize with them and be like. The other thing is just like I don't think it's a. a generational thing. I just think it's a, an adult kid thing. I think so many people have a hard time going back and remembering, oh, I was a kid and I was angry and I didn't act rationally. And I didn't, I made really stupid choices when I was a kid. I, d- I did really dumb things that could have physically or emotionally or mentally hurt me. And I think people need to understand that, that, you know, your brain is still forming when you're even up to like your early twenties. So understanding that, you know, people are just like this. They have so many different emotions bouncing around in the head at, at the exact same time where you you can be, you're not bipolar just because one day you're sad, next day you're happy, next day you're horny, next day you're hungry, next day whatever. It's just your your brain and your body are changing so fucking fast and you have so, so many different things going on at the same time that it's hard to focus on one thing ever. So really, yeah, really, really great movie that sort of, you know, physically manifests, the physical representation of all those things that are going inside a kid's head all at once. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very, yeah. very well said. Thanks. Um, so again, let's see. I'll, let me just talk about Wally. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> just full, full, full disclosure. I have uh, sold number one. It's it's because it was, um, you know, so it's a recency bias, and it was so hard hitting. And I th- and I have such a great um, respect for that movie. So let's talk about our number twos. My number two is Wally. Again, I just watched it the other night. Man, <laughs> the things that yeah. this company can do, like you said with Op, no dialogue in that in that uh, opening sequence. And again, very, very little dialogue at the beginning of, of Wally. And even throughout Wally, there's very little dialogue. And this reminds me of going back and watching all the um, Charlie Chaplin movies from the, from the 20s a few years ago and how much a person, how much a storyteller can tell without words. And if you go back and watch any Chaplin movies, I would recommend watching City Lights. It's so emotionally impactful. And I think, I don't- Yeah, I don't, it's a great movie. It is a great movie. And I won, I didn't do much research into Wally, but I, I'm almost assuredly that they watched a lot of uh, Chaplin movies to get that sort of, um, uh, that way of projecting emotion through movements and not through words. Um, first time Eva comes down to, to earth and, and meets, uh, meets Wally. And there's so many moments where she's like, they talk to, they're starting to talk and Wally's like, um, 
he says her name, he says his name and somehow, she, oh, she says directive and she points to the thing in her chest or whatever. She's like, this is my directive. And she's like, directive? And he goes and makes a little, uh, he ground, he grabs some garbage, puts it himself and makes a box. And he goes, ta-da! <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> it's so cute and hilarious. It's a great moment. It's such a great moment. There's so many little moments of him. You can just express so much um, emotion in his eyes and his movements and his, and his hand movements and just, oh my God, every time him, uh, her, her, it was, she would say, well, e! and he would say, Eva, oh my God, just crushing mm-hmm. me every single time, especially at the end when he's, um, there's the moment where she has the, you know, the remnants of, of, a, of a flower of life on earth and they put it into the thing and the ship is fighting back against it so so this little this pillar that has the green thing in it starts going down and starts they're gonna you know shut down the ship and stay in space so Wally puts himself in between the pillar and the ground and the pillar starts going down farther and farther and it crushes him and you have the moment where where uh, Eva goes over and she's like Wally Wally just cr- oh my god <laughs> you're just crying over a fucking inan- inanimate object trying to to revive another one it's just crushing oh my god <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I I love Wally. Like it, it didn't make my list. Um, I just because I didn't have enough slots. A lot of there's I've got more than five um, movies that would I would say are five star movies for me when it comes to Pixar. And Wally is absolutely one of these perfect movies that just didn't make the cut. Uh, it's yeah, like you, all the stuff you said. It's so good, and you know it is just kind of uh, Wally is just this great aspirational character that makes everyone around him better. He just wants to be like do good and you know i like you know it's the same thing we're talking about with turning red where it's like i'm not a robot you know yeah. i've never lived in a post-apocalyptic world where like everyone's fat in like a space station or whatever but like you still feel the emotions that wally feels you know like you you know you can still understand like being in love and like trying to fight for the things you believe in and stuff like that it's it's just so so and it's it looks incredible too yeah. like that scene where they're floating out in space and they they've got the the fire extinguisher i was just like that looks, looks way better than when they do the same scene in gravity like a year later or whatever <laughs> um so I, I i fucking love wally like it's it's so good it's so wholesome i really like the environmental message that it puts in it mm-hmm. but it's not doesn't feel like it's laying it on too thick at the same time yeah so very very good movie yeah. for sure so so great i forgot about <laughs> the whole plot of it is just like they send it they're like it's like 500 years in the future and uh, I forget the guy who plays him, but the president was just like, oh, Fred Willard. He plays the president. Fred Willard, yeah, yeah. And, he, and the first message is like, hey, congratulations, Captain. You found, um, if you've seen this message, you found uh, evidence of life is coming back to Earth. Congratulations. And then they play the, the next message and you're like, fuck it. We're done. We fucked this shit so hard. <laughs> just stay in space for, I don't know, however long you want. It's fine. Sorry. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> it's just hilarious. Oh, man. Uh, so let's see. So yeah, why don't we, did you do your number two? Was that your number two? I have not yeah, okay. gotten my number two yet. Sure. Uh, so my number two is The Incredibles. Uh, I was 14 when this movie came out. It was a very, it's interesting because it felt like it was a big turning point for Pixar, but it was also a big turning point in my life, you know, when I'm 14 and I'm starting to get into like real movies, you know, and like, um, like, okay, like, I could really understand what makes a movie good and what makes a movie, you know, like, just kind of fun or whatever. And this was like, wow, I was like, this is a movie where, and it's the first time kind of Pixar brings in an outside director. They bring in Bad Brad Bird, um, who made the Iron Giant and, um, you know, a lot of other great stuff. Uh, and he just kind of 
it's 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 a family, you know, and it's the first time you get to see actual people in a Pixar movie as opposed to like toys or fish or whatever or bugs because they've actually kind of reached the technology to make them look pretty decent. Um, but yeah, this whole family dynamic where it is this kind of quote unquote nuclear family and it's set in this kind of retro future like like what the 1950s thought the 1980s were going to be like almost. Yeah. And it, it's a superhero thing, and I love superhero stuff, and it kind of deconstructs all of those tropes, and it is kind of like, like, people love to say, like, this is, they've already made a f- perfect Fantastic Four movie, and it's The Incredibles, and they are <laughs> so right, you know, uh, it, it it feels very mature for a kid's movie, you know, there's actual real danger that the kids are put in, like, the mob even says, like, these are not, like, the, the villains you see on the, your cartoons, they will kill you, <laughs> um, so there's a lot of, like, it feels like more of, like, oh, this is, like, a movie for maybe, like, you know, teenagers or, like, older kids, not necessarily, like, you know, your Toy Stories or your Bugs Lives, um, or even your Monsters, Inks, where it does feel like, wow, this is something with some real stakes, there's, there's a lot of, like, interesting visual storytelling, um, like with Wally, where it's just, like, he'll just be doing detective stuff, and it'll be like you're like kind of like just having to follow the visual clues. Like no one just gives you these exposition dumps. It's like there's that whole scene where he's just clicking, and clicking, and seeing the dead heroes pop up, and he's piecing together what happened. Oh, yeah. Um, and just yeah, it's it's cause, you know it's a perfect family movie as far as I'm concerned, which are I think kind of hard to pull off. Um, it's the the sequels also very very good, but the first one for me. For a long time, I think it was my my number one Pixar. It had did eventually get edged out by what my number one pick is going to be. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Incredibles. Nice, nice. Really, really well said. Um, yeah, I, I don't remember seeing this for the first time. I think this is the one I had to go back and watch. And I think this is one of the movies that um, we talk about, you know, holding up in terms of graphical quality. I think doesn't quite hold up in the graphics department. <laughs> I know there's a part yeah. part near the yeah. end where they're in the water and um, something falls on them or about to fall on them and the, the water doesn't look great. She doesn't look great. But yeah, overall, really, really great. Um, yeah, like you said, great Mission Impossible movie. Um, Brad Bird, let me see. What else did he do? Did he, do? he did The Incredibles. Then he did directed uh, Ratatouille, great Pixar movie. What do you think about like that whole, is there is there a golden age of Pixar? Are we in the golden age of Pixar? Was the... Was there a golden age, if there was one, from 2003 with Finding Nemo to, let's say, 2010 with Toy Story 3? Was that the best? Was that the best of Pixar? I think I think so. Yeah, I think honestly, like especially like because I think honestly, probably from like 95 when they first came out with their uh, Toy Story one, their first feature up till then, um, after they get bought out by Disney, I think there are some reasons where they they're not you know, bad by any yeah. stretch of the imagination, but it's not quite the same. I think part of it is because uh, a lot of them get intermingled with Disney, um, you know, uh, genius, but an all-time fucking creep, uh, John Lasseter, <laughs> yeah. um, becomes a Disney guy instead of just a Pixar guy, so, you know, they don't have his kind of, like, oversight. They also start to do stuff that's more for kids, like with cars, um, and then they start to... A big part of the reason why... Um, up till then, Toy Story 2 was the only sequel is because Disney basically fucked them over and was like, oh, yes, they, we had, they had like a deal for like so many movies yeah. um, to make movies for Pixar. And then they're like, oh, Toy Story 2 didn't count. Sequels don't count. Like wow. it was going to be direct to DVD, <laughs> even though it did come out in theaters. And so that's why they're like, OK, we'll just never make sequels for you guys because you're going to say they don't count. So they just kept making new original movies and they weren't like as much as I'm like, I don't think sequels are bad. I think, you know, I did a whole thing on my show about how a lot of sequels are underrated, but. You know, you don't always need to keep going back to that well. Sometimes you can be like, all right, you know, that's why one of the reasons why I love A Bug's Life. It's just a complete story, and now we don't have to worry about, like, what happened when, you know, 
like Hopper came back. Like he would he wouldn't come back. Another all time creep. Uh, <laughs> Hopper in that movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, but uh, yeah, like you can just tell a story, and you don't have to like Monsters Inc is done. You don't have to be like, okay, what were they doing before? Okay, now it's monsters at work. Um, and they were just focused only specifically on making new stories and especially that like three picture thing where they're like we can just do whatever we want right now and they made wally ratatouille and up which are just regardless of what you think of them so creative like some of the most like this is a movie about a guy who gets a chef who gets controlled by a hat and it's in front like <laughs> to a rat with his it was his hair and it's in france and it's just like no like studio exec would be like yeah go make that you yeah. know but they were just like fuck it we're pixar we're gonna do what we want you know so once once Disney came in and, and, you know, they started working on more things, working on more sequels, um, getting a little bit more diluted, um, I think they went a little, they lost a little, just a little bit of the magic. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I look at the movies post uh, Toy Story 3, post 2010, a lot of sequels, um, Cars 2, Monsters University, uh, Finding Dory, Cars 3, Incredibles 2, Toy Story 4, but you also have a lot of um, original movies like Brave, like Inside Out. Coco, uh, Onward, Soul, Luca. The last four have been originals. Onward, Soul, Luca, and Turning Red have all been originals. So that's a good, um, that's a promising Yeah, I think they're trend. back on the upswing. I think they're on really on the upswing again, honestly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So why don't we get to our number one? I was just to say real quick, I guess we'll do my number two was Luca. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm so out of, out of whack. Oh, yeah, Wally. did we skip? We got, I got all mixed up. Yeah, Wally. I have, because I originally had Wally number five, then I watched it last night. I was like, oh my God, this is, this is the best movie ever. <laughs> uh, my number two is Luca. It's a very, you know, I'm glad you brought The Incredibles into here. Just a mixture of light, light more light fare <laughs> into my emotional uh, dour uh, <laughs> picks here, but Luca again, a little bit, a little bit lighter. Uh, reminds me of some of the best. I think I mentioned this one when I saw it. Uh, was it last? Was this last year? Let me see. Twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one. Yeah. So uh, reminds me of the best of Ghibli movies from from Up on Poppy Hill, Whisper of the Heart. Only yesterday, the very small, simple story about kids just trying to win a bike race. Um, talked about this a, a bunch of times with Dion about how you know you could make the argument you. Could look at it as an allegory for othering for for a movie about you know the monster being a queer person or whatever a black person you know because you know the uh what's the guy's name here the uh, actual characters uh let's see luca not luca alberto is a little you know darker than than luca so you can make the argument that it's about you know darker skinned people but you know you just go into it and you'd be like yeah a great great movie about kids having an adventure really great uh art you know again grand Great original small little story, really really liked it. Yeah, yeah. Luca, Luca's great. It's it's definitely um, just like honestly, if nothing else, you can also just it's just like a fun funny movie. It's like a great kids movie, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And that you can watch as an adult, and you're not gonna like be like, oh my gosh, this is interminable. It's actually super enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. That gets me to another point I forgot to mention. Um, you know, a lot of Pixar movies are. I think there's two, 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 two types of uh, Pixar movies. There's, you know, the movies that are made for adults or geared, let's say geared towards adults, but kids can also enjoy them. And then you have movies geared towards kids, but adults can also enjoy them. I think Luca is, you know, geared towards kids, but you, you have, you can be an adult and you can look for those themes and those messages in there. Uh, Turning Right is for kids, but looking for my number one, that's a movie that I'll mention in a little bit. That's for, you know, more geared towards adults, but kids can also enjoy them. Uh, Toy Story is 
an interesting one. You know, the Toy Story series and it's interesting because it, you could say it's made for kids, but a lot of really dark themes in there as well. Um, let me see something like you know, um, like I said, Inside Out for you know geared towards uh, younger kids, but you also can be like if you're again if you're an adult and you can think back and have empathy and and relate to that era in your life, you can also get a lot out of that. So would you agree that there's you know two two types of um, Pixar movies? I think you could definitely classify it that way. Yeah. yeah, that that does make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're at number one, I believe. Uh, why don't you go first? Tell me what your number mm-hmm. one Pixar film is. All right, so, yeah, uh, people might have noticed that I have not mentioned the Pixar definitive series on my top ten list yet, or my top five list yet, um, and that's because uh, my number one is Toy Story 3. Um, I know it was your number five. Yeah. Uh, I it was Honestly, it's close between this and Toy Story 2 for me. Um, I think they're both, all of the Toy Story movies are just like perfect films, but for me, at least with the originals, um, they just kept getting better and better and deeper and more interesting. Whereas the first one, it's like, this is a really cool world. And the second one kind of like asks like, what are the implications of this world? Like, okay, so we're toys. What happens when kids grow up? And then, you know, they're kind of worried about that. And the third one takes that to its logical conclusion where it's like, now Andy is grown up. And we have to reckon with this and we have to move on. And it's about the movie is about growing up yourself. And it really hit for me because I have always been the same age as Andy in all these movies. I was five when the first one came out. I was nine when the second one came out. And I was in college when Toy Story 3 came out when Andy was getting ready to go to college. So this hit with me in a deep personal way and just it's it's like the sad it's very surprisingly dark this movie like it goes to some dark places like you mentioned at the end you think they're gonna die and be and i really like in the theater was like oh my god this is how toy story ends like this is this is like there this is how it needs to end they need to be like incinerated and die like this is the tragic ending for toy story this is the only way it could and then it's like the deus ex machina but it's like a with deus ex machina is actually set up over course of three movies with a claw like it comes in it's perfect and you know, oh my gosh, there's so there's so much that I could say. I could do an entire podcast <laughs> on Toy Story 3. Yeah. But like that last scene, and I've talked a couple times about crying. Nothing gets me mm. like that last scene where Andy plays with his toys oh, yeah. for one last time. He's like leaving his childhood behind it, but he's giving them a new home. And Woody has to move on to and Woody has to, to grow up and let go and realize that he can be there for someone else and he doesn't need to be there for woody anymore and that little like when he's leaving and then she takes the hand of woody and just kind of does that like little (laughs) wave oh my god Uh, (laughs) that shit punches my heart in the balls like god that's that's an oh (laughs) it's it's so so fucking good i can rewatch toy story 3 whenever obviously one's perfect two's perfect four is a movie that doesn't need to exist and it's better than it has any right to be but three is goddamn great like i i fucking love it (laughs) yes it's it's really amazing i I gotta rewatch this i don't know if i've i've seen it since it first came out but yeah yeah this is just incredible has all the and it's it is amazing that they are able to again talking about the the fourth one take take that idea and then run with it again where you have um in four you have woody you know understanding that you know there's always going to be another kid there's always going to be another andy but andy's going to be his his first one again you, you can't ever get away mm-hmm. from the yeah that one um yeah really really great i gotta i gotta rewatch this um again sometime 
but uh and it's a perfect ending to the trilogy even though they made one more movie it still like feels like a perfect trilogy like that and lord of the rings are the only perfect trilogies and as far as i'm concerned yeah yeah exactly so my number one again very sad (laughs) very touching very um uh existentially um kicking the balls existential kicking the balls Um, my number one is soul uh, this is from 2021 or the end of 2020, I believe. I put this on my list very late um, yeah, yeah, that year. Yeah. Um, so let me see. Let me just pull up uh, real quick all the stuff. Uh, directed by Pete Doctor. I believe he is the now creative uh, chief creative officer at Pixar, which is great because he's part of some of the best Pixar movies of the last 25 years. Uh, so let's see. This came out in 2020, directed by uh, Pete Doctor. Uh, stars <clears throat> Jamie Foxx, Tina Fey, Graham Norton. Love Graham Norton's uh, character in this. Let me just bring up my notes from when I first talked about it. Uh, Soul is wonderful. It is sad. It's joyful. I love the music and the sound design. I listen to a lot of stuff because I listen. I watch a lot of stuff at night, so I'll listen on noise canceling headphones and the ambient noise, the ambient score in the background done by Atticus Ross uh, was incredible. Love the score in this and all the little sound effects in the background is really great. Uh, it's full of uh, heart. It is deeply meaningful about finding your passion in life and discovering that just living and enjoying life can be enough. We're asked as kids all the time, what do you want to be when you grow up? And this goes back to your point about being happy or being content or finding a goal. You know, where we ask kids all the time, what's your goal? You know, like like 10 year olds. Hey, kid, what do you want your GPA to be when you're fucking in college? What do you want to what do you want your um, career path to be uh, when you're 10 years old? Like, fuck that. That shouldn't be a thing we ask kids anymore. Um, the question we get as adults is, what do you want to do? We've been raised to believe that our worth and our identity is mainly tied to our job or career or our spark. And this movie at that point where, you know, he's he does the performance. Finally, he gets he gets he, he reaches his goal. He gets to where he wanted to be all his life. And he walks out of the um, he walks out of the out of the club and he looks around. And he's like, is that it? This is what I've been going for my entire life. And yeah. Now what? <laughs> it's just very existentially um, just this kills you. Uh, it explores explores the idea that maybe just living and experience life should be enough when he's outside. And he looks up and he sees the uh, the walnut. I forget what they call the thing. The walnut. Uh, oh, the helicopter the walnut. Yeah, thing that just spins around. And it's like, yeah, yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe the meaning of life isn't to work 40 hours a week and put a 401k away so you might have enough money uh, when you retire. Maybe that's not it. Maybe we're maybe life isn't isn't about the grind, Karen. Maybe maybe shut the fuck up about your MLM and your whatever and your I'm a I'm a grind. I'm a boss <laughs> NFT. I'm, I'm a boss babe. I'm I'm a boss lady. I'm a, yeah, shut up. <laughs> but, but yeah really really great i gotta i gotta rewatch this one again but yeah i really really like the music and the sound design was incredible yeah really like this yeah and it's no coincidence you know you you brought up the parallels between this and what i mentioned with inside out it's they're both pete doctor films and i think that this one like inside out does such a good job of taking this abstract concept in that one, um, you know, being emotions in this one, it just kind of being like about your quote unquote purpose in life and um, kind of just does it in an interesting way. Whereas like a kid can be like watching and be like, Oh, this cat is funny. But like you and I can be like, wow, this is so deep. And like, like it, it also looks so incredible. Like the way that like everything's just kind of fuzzy at like uh, the between going to town between like the afterlife slash dream world and like the reality and 
interesting concepts like how they go and like they they find these people who are able to meditate and like reach this higher plane and they they get on the ship and stuff like that um Pete Doctor's great at that shit, honestly. Like, beautiful chef's kiss. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, I believe that is it. Our top five Pixar movies of all time, so far. It's definitely going to be more out there, so <laughs> definitely have a chance to yeah. revisit, this, revisit this list uh, in the near future. So, mm-hmm. I believe that'll do it for another Can I Say Something, but let's plug our stuff first. Oh, let's see. I got my Medium blog. I haven't posted that for in a while, but still, I got stuff on there that you can still check out. Uh, I do a little bit of a review for every movie I post. Still doing my one movie a day uh, challenge for 2022. I believe I'm up to, I don't know, let's say 90, 95 movies this year. So, yeah, dude. Yeah, definitely check that out. Always another movie or two or three movies going up every day on there. So go to my uh, letterbox, damien.sherman.letterbox, whatever it's called. Look Look me up there. So I believe that's all I got. Derek, what do you got to plug? Yeah, so I kind of mentioned a couple times that I also do uh, another podcast. It's called Underrated, um, where it's another it's a film podcast where we talk about underrated films. Um, so we had an episode going up today. Um, it's on the Steven Soderbergh film Logan Lucky from a couple of years back. Um, so we have new episodes every other week as well. Um, I do I do some writing on Medium, not as much as Damien. Uh, I have a letterbox as well. Uh, I thought I was doing really well with seeing 61 <laughs> movies so far this year, but yeah. Damien's got me beat. Uh, so, but yeah, however you're listening to this, if you want to go check out um, my uh, podcast, Underrated, or look uh, me and uh, my friends up who do that show, uh, just check out, just look up Undercast Company on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and you can go ahead and give us a follow there. Uh, that would be much appreciated. Awesome. awesome. So for Can I Say Something, episode 134, I have been Damien. And we'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Bye.